about the kingdom of God, and um, it's a very challenging theme. And the, the verse that came to my mind was uh, in chapter 12 of Luke, and um, it's verse 32, where Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Don't be afraid or fear not, little flock, uh, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid or fear not, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And uh, I, I mean, we could spend all day just thinking about these words, but the thought was that um, he's referencing the fact that, that there are things that make us afraid, and not just um, Christians, uh, but uh, all of humanity. Uh, things that to which we feel very vulnerable, and uh, no ideologies, no religions, no sophisticated modern views of reality resolve these deep psychological fears that they're they're like that they keep just keep on surfacing in 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 sometimes in in unacknowledged ways because people um, don't like to think that they are in any way fearful some people don't but but in the private part of our hearts there's a strong tendency to recognize our frailties and our vulnerabilities to different things and uh, and here, so this passage comes in the context of that. And, and Jesus says, so don't be afraid. Uh, and then he uses this phrase, little flock. And, and it just captures that sense of vulnerability that we have, doesn't it? You know, where sometimes we feel just like these sheep. Um, some time ago, not so long ago, as you know, at the end of last year, I spent some time up in uh, the Stanthorpe region. And uh, I was on um, staying on a farm up there. And um, this farm had um, uh, had been run for a few years by people who were just learning their ropes, you know. And they had, they didn't quite know what to do. <laughs> they just thought had land, and they thought, well, you put animals on it, or you plough it, or something like that, you know. They were learning. And they had a flock of sheep there, so and um, the area. what they were to discover was that there was wild dogs in the area. So many, uh, the, the wild dogs came in and just killed so many of the in just lambing season, and the foxes, and they killed. So many of the lambs and some of the and, um, and, they and so, uh, some of the sheep and the sheep took off and they ran and they had no idea where they and uh, they had no idea where they were and um, I I I was there um, as I say around about November and uh, and to their surprise and mine a few sheep came back you know. And uh, they were very timid to start off with. They weren't going to come around the house. They were just in the lower paddock, you know. And uh, and bit by bit, they 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 came up. And th we were staying on the on the farm on our own, and the the, f the family were away. And the sheep came up around the buildings, and uh, and we just sort of had to learn to not in frighten them in any way. So I just whistle, you know, I just whistle and sang and didn't look at them in the eye or anything like that. They sort of settled down. And um, they found their way back into the sheepfold. And they brought their sheep, the little ones, in. They knew, isn't that amazing, after being away for maybe 18 months, two years, they found their way back in. And they were just a little flock, very nervous, you know, easily spooked type thing. So it's such a wonderful thing for me to sort of 
think about the way in which we kind of can be like that. We can, we can be put by, by reason of the somewhat um, aggressive um, ideologies in our society today, they can p put us on the back foot, you know? And we kind of feel like what we have to do is we've got to sort of live defensively, you know, like, like a little flock, live defensively. And um, the Lion of Judah becomes the guide dog of Judah. You can laugh if you like. Uh, you know, this idea of Jesus as the, as the preeminent, you know, the great lion with that strength and that, you know, that great vigor. You know, we, we kind of wanna, don't want to play that card too hard because it sort of gets us into trouble. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we can be quite intimidated, but we're not the only ones because actually lots of people are living with these deep underlying fears. And we'll go through this passage in Luke 12 and just look at the key ones that he deals with. And the first one, he says in verse 4, he says, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body, who want to kill your body. They can do no more after that. But I'll tell you those to fear, whom to fear. Fear God, who after the killing, not necessarily he doing the killing, but after the you have been killed, has then the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Now, very this is Jesus, I say, the Lion of Judah type stuff. You know, this is Jesus speaking directly about the culture, challenging the culture about how it is reality. As a and be intimidated by those who threaten us, our life, and that that's the greatest threat. And he makes the point here that the greatest threat is not those that threaten our life in this world. Isn't it amazing? He says that after they've killed you, they can do nothing more. I mean, that in a materialistic culture is they've done everything they that needs to be done because that's the end. You know, Jesus says, no, no, that's not the end. That's not the end of your life. You, you, you are immortal. <laughs> you know, you're immortal. You know, it doesn't end in death for you. Uh, you you are very much alive after after that, just alive in a different way. And uh, so he says there, he says, so the real consideration is what happens in the afterlife. And um, and so here then he goes on to say, and, and, and just when they're sort of trying to cope with the fact that, that he's saying to them, you should have a deep, kind of reverential fear of God in whose hands your eternal destiny is, actually, rather than these people who think that by killing you they've finished you. You know, not, don't be worried about them, but be concerned about he who in whose hands your future actually lies. And then he, so he just said, fear him. You know, fear that authority that he has. And then he says, what price... What's the price of five sparrows in, the, in that time? Uh, the sparrows were sold in the marketplace as kind of basic protein for the poorest of the poor. And you could buy five sparrows that the boys would catch, you know, in little traps and sell them in the, in the markets to make a little bit of money. Um, you could buy them for just next to nothing, really. And he says, yet God does not forget a single one of them. What he is doing is he's not just being, you know, kind of uh, emotionally encouraging. 
he's actually describing how engaged the father is with the creation and how precious even those little old brown birds are. So common, can you believe it? He feels that way about noisy miners. Yeah, yeah you know, those are, they annoy us, you know, but they're precious. They're precious. And we tend not to think of the father like that. We tend not to think that he is so loving. He just loves bugs. You know, he just loves everything that he has made. And it's just his nature to love. And he doesn't love them in a distant way. But he loves them in a very personal and intimate and close and proximate way. You know, these little sparrows would be there in those cages and Jesus would look at them and he would see how people sometimes feel like that. They feel like they're condemned. It's not long before they'll be in the pot. You know, with that fear in them. So using that picture, connect. I know what you, f- you know, I know how you feel, he says. When you feel that vulnerable, when you feel that condemned, and when you feel that under the judgment, as it were. He says, the one you under judgment before, he loves you more than you can, more than you can conceive. And he doesn't just love you, he just loves because he is love. And you're in safe hands, but make your peace with him because your relationship with him is not de facto. You don't make it up yourself. You don't write your own vows. You don't write your own vows in this relationship. You're subject to the vows and the covenant that he has made, and that covenant is in his son, who has died in order that you might be completely reconciled and have no fear to face the great judge. And then he just feels, to just to press it a little further, as he's surrounded by these great beards and men particularly, uh, of course, it's a mixed uh, crowd that were pressing in on him, st- walk standing on each other, it says. Uh, uh, he says. He says to them, he says, even the very hairs of your head. And, you know, for those of us that are, uh, that, uh, you know, whose glory is much more obvious because we don't have thatch, you know, w- we know what it's like to lose your hair. Very personal. You know, it's very kind of, messes with your sense of how beautiful you are and all that sort of stuff and you know that kind of thing he says he knows that and he says even those uh, he even sees those kind of little psychological games that we struggle with some of us it's not our hair it's our waistline or it's our bottoms whether we they're too big or too little or all that sort of stuff. He knows all those little things that we, that we struggle with emotionally. And it's incredible to think that the king of the universe is a father who knows the kind of psychological and emotional issues that are all tied up with in his children's lives. And he says, you don't need to have You don't need to be the loving father who cares for the sparrows and cares for whether you've got a flowing locks or just a shiny dome. You know, you're in his hands. You're in his hands. Isn't that beautiful?
Beautiful. See, what he's doing is he's building faith in them. He's building faith in them because the, the challenge is this, that he wants to give us the kingdom, whatever that means, but he, need, he knows we need, to be, we need to be willing to receive it and not suspicious and anxious and apprehensive because he's offering us something we've never experienced. He's taking us beyond our experience. And he wants us to be able to trust that he, he will give us a good thing. The next thing that he talks about here, he says in verse 11, he says, And when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourselves or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. And this is the other great psychological fear that we have, and it is the fear of power and the way in which we live in a world where power is, seems always to be unevenly distributed, concentrated in the hands of some and so little power in the hands of many. And our culture, for instance, at the present moment is trying to redress that and it's trying to empower people. It's one of the big words, isn't it? Empowerment, empowerment, empowerment. To try to level that all out. But it all just keeps slipping and sliding, doesn't it? You know, and for all the efforts to empower people, this, this power still seems to gravitate to some people and slip away from others. And we're always just tr trying to kind of level the tray so that they level the playing field, as it were, to use our vernacular in order to make sure that everybody gets a fair crack of the whip type thing. Uh, the fact is that, you know, it just doesn't work that way in life and in all our lives, in our personal lives as well as in our political lives, we're always conscious of the fact somebody else is controlling our destiny. We don't like it. And he says, it's going to happen. This is going to happen. But don't live in fear of it because he's the Father's giving you the Holy Spirit who understands all the dynamics that you have to face in the complex power grids of life. And you don't have to have it all wrapped up and understood and, and downloaded. You have he who is the resurrection life power of God with you to guide you, to enable you so just settle. Just settle. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit will help us. I think many of us have had those sorts of experiences. And uh, the other one he deals with here is in verse 22. He says, and so this is interesting, and I observe how the different translations manage this, and they, uh, you know, it's a challenging one to manage because it says here, then he turned to his disciples and said, um, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or, or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and the body's more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns 
For God feeds them, and you're far more valuable to him than any birds. Fascinating here. Fascinating, you know. I'm if I'm I'm the PR man in Jesus, you know. I'm I'm his speech writer, as it were. You know, he never gives me anything. Right here, always speaks off the cuff. You know, and he's but he can get into trouble. Says the wrong things. Why? Why does he choose more ravens? Why does you know? Why doesn't he choose? You know, I don't know. Let's think of French doves. Why couldn't he have said consider the doves? You know, these little, lovely, cuddly, beautiful things. Why couldn't he even say the b- chickens? Why does he have to say these ravens that are identified with the kind of the dark side of, of you know, with the occult even, that people are unsettled by ravens flying in. They seem to turn up at inappropriate times, as it were, when we're just on the edge of our nervous system, as it were, in flies a raven and we go, <laughs> all I need now is a black cat and I'm in trouble. Or you can anyway, put it on your sandwiches for peanut butter. One of the two. The point is, this idea that he chooses this bird that is in a sense a bit of a pariah bird. Isn't it fascinating? And when you think about how the father provides them with, he's not giving them fruit loops, is he? He's giving them carrion. So that's why they symbolized something that was kind of culturally unacceptable. And that's what's happening in our culture today, that, you know, that religion is thought of as the cause of all dangers and problems in society, isn't it? Particularly Christianity. We are thought of as the carrion, as it were, increasingly. Fascinating. He just says, and after that, I'm uh, running out of time, but he says, he says after that, and if you can't, he says, can you, by worrying, add a single moment to your life? You know, common people struggle with this, because can you, literally, just to your eyes, can you, could you add, some of you don't need it, do you? I'm just looking at the big tall blokes, tall timber at the back there. But the point is, when he's t- what he's talking about is he's talking about the fact that psychologically sometimes we feel really small. Even big blokes can feel really small. And somehow or other they want to feel bigger than they are. Now one of the things about uh, my wife's father passed away recently, Gerald Rollins. He was a man of average height, but those people that knew him always felt he was a giant because he carried something in the spirit. Carried something. What he's talking about here, you see, is he's talking about the fear that we have is the fear of how we are perceived and valued. How we live in a world where people seem to want to undervalue us and always put themselves up and us down type thing. And we seem very vulnerable to that. And here he's saying, (laughs) he's saying your father's across those psychological needs, that sense of self-appraisal that's often negative. Talks about the next thing, the lilies of the valley. These are these wildflowers. 
Just think about the wildflowers, how beautiful they are. Will not your heavenly Father give you even greater beauty? He's not so much talking about the external beauty. How many of us have seen a free-spirited person who is truly physically prized? They physically shines. There's a beauty there, isn't there? And I think, you know, the fact is that there's no ugly people, but there's an ugly spirit, isn't there? There's an ugly spirit. And when we receive the spirit of Christ, we receive beautiful spirit, you know, a beautiful spirit. Isn't that fantastic? We receive a beautiful spirit. He gives us a beautiful spirit, more beautiful than the lilies of the field. We don't have to be a plagued by a sense of social inferiority or unacceptability or l lacking sufficient beauty or sufficient significance. We don't need any of that because the Father is addressing that in us in order that we might be more than sufficient for our life in a difficult world. And against that background, he says, so... Don't be afraid, little flock. It's the Father's great happiness to give you the kingdom. And when he talks about giving you the kingdom, what he's talking about in biblical sense is he's not so much talking about land and manor homes. He's talking about the fact that in the scripture, the kingdom refers firstly to the king himself from whom the kingdom flows. Some of us are old enough to remember the idea of monarchy, what the divine right of kings, this idea that they were anointed divinely in order to function in their authority for the benefit of the lives under them or in their sphere of influence. He's and that's what he's saying, this anointing of a divine right, as it were, that enables us to live in the world in a blessed way. And if there is a difference between the kingdom and the church, it is in that the interest of the kingdom is beyond the boundaries of the church. It's how we live in the world. And this, he's talking about then, this anointing is in fact the Holy Spirit when he says he gives us the kingdom. He gives us an anointing that enables us to live functionally and in the joy and blessedness of who we are and who Christ is, not in our safe flock fold, but outside it, outside it in the world. So we don't have this mentality that when we leave the church, we're going out into the big bad world. But we have this assurance that the shepherd leads us. We're safe. We are safe. They are not. We are secure. They still have to resolve that. And they need the light of Christ in us in order for that to be their experience as well. So in Pentecost, God is giving the church the kingdom. He's giving them 
that divine anointing because that's what the Messiah is. He's the anointed one. And it's flowing out of the risen Christ, the king seated at the throne. When it talks about a river of living water, this is what of the divine anointing bringing life wherever it goes. Oh, Jesus. We don't have to be afraid. All those deep psychological things that make us fearful. The Holy Ghost heals us of that stuff. Gives us confidence to live in the world. In Jesus' name. As you take the symbols of Jesus' life in your hand, just lay that little wafer in your palm for a while and reflect on the sacrifice that Christ paid in order that you might call him Father. What a thing, hey? What a thing. The Father loves you and finds great pleasure in giving you the spirit that raised Christ from the dead as the very energy and joy wellspring of your life. Not afraid, not living out of fear, living out of confidence in the Father who gave his own dear Son, that we might be sanctified, cleansed and transformed and filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's eat, shall we? This morning, eat drink the cup this morning in the covenant, in the terms that God established for the relationship between himself and us those terms that were signed and sealed in the blood of Christ. The Father sets the terms. We don't have to be afraid of where he will lead us, what he will require of us. He knows the very hairs of our head. He knows the intimate fears and concerns we have. And he's only ever going to lead us in wonderful grace and love. He's never going to send us anywhere on our own. We will always be in the company of the gracious spirit that flows out from the Father and the Son ahead of us, around us, behind us. Oh, so often I'm afraid that I'm saying the wrong thing. I'm doing the wrong thing. And what this teaches me is that the Holy Spirit cleans up after me. Cleans up after me. I'll make a mess. But in his loving life, He's able to do in people's lives of my bumbling, silly ways. I pray for you today that there's a new openness in your heart to the loving Father. Receive from him the kingdom. It's his good pleasure because he wants it to be your good pleasure. Let's drink his covenant love in Jesus' name.